Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. This is an RNZ podcast. Hello, I'm Simon Morris. One of the great misconceptions of the job of the movie reviewer is that we're some kind of consumer guide. We can certainly tell you who made a film, who's in it and what it's about. We can advise you about the genre, how much it costs and how much money it's made elsewhere. We can even tell you whether, in our opinion, all that time, money and talent was well spent. But the key word in that sentence is opinion. Samuel Beckett. You know, I admire the technique, but it, it doesn't it doesn't hit me on a gut level. I'd like to and hit this guy on a gut that, level. Stop it, Aldi. He's spitting on my neck. You know, he's spitting on my neck. We can tell you whether we liked it and, if we're honest, why we liked it or didn't like it. Maybe we don't like that sort of film. Maybe we're besotted with the star or the director or, I don't know, movies with numbers after the title. But what we can't tell you is whether you're going to like it. How would we know? That's totally up to you. What do you do when you get stuck on a movie line with a guy like this behind you? Wait a minute, why can't I give my opinion? It's a free country. He he, he can give you... Do you have to give it so loud? I mean, aren't you ashamed to pontificate like that? What brought this up was the number of people recently who told me they decided not to bother with a couple of films because they heard they weren't any good. Really? Heard from whom? The accusation is false. I am telling the truth. The truth does not matter. There is only the power of men. One of the films was The Last Duel, which was one of my favourite films of the year, though you're welcome to disagree, of course. And the other was the latest from Marvel Comics, The Eternals, which apparently displayed all the things I've criticised in Marvel movies recently. The sudden return of the population provided the necessary energy for the emergence to begin. It looked way too big. It featured not one new superhero, but ten. And it was directed by Chloe Zhao, winner of two Oscars for the far-from-blockbusting Nomadland. The critics were generally unimpressed. Except, personally, I had a great time, even at midnight on Sunday. Critics schmittics, as I'm sure many people have said after going to one of my recommendations. Thank you for this. Oh, you're welcome. So now that Captain Rogers and Iron Man are both gone... Who do you think's going to lead the Avengers? I could lead them. (laughs) (laughs) Meanwhile, critical opinion seems almost unanimous about the latest from one of our greatest filmmakers, Dame Jane Campion. The Power of the Dog has picked up awards at many A-list festivals, including Best Director at Venice. I have to confess I never quite seemed to get on the wavelength of Dame Jane's films, but I was assured that this was her at the very peak of her powers. (whistles) 
Another film about another New Zealand cultural hero has arrived bearing potential garlands. From the Dock Edge Festival comes a documentary promising the story behind the tragic murder of yachting legend Sir Peter Blake. After his murder, I wanted to go on a personal odyssey to understand why this murder happened. I wanted to know if there was any truth to the rumours that Peter had been targeted for his environmental work. So, no excuse for not going into the Garden of Evil, pretty pumped over a possible conspiracy theory. But first, this week saw the 50th Wellington Film Festival launched with this film, Jane Campion's The Power of the Dog. It's just a man, Peter. Only another man. New Zealand can boast a number of world-leading filmmakers. There's Sam Neill, still the only real movie star this country has produced so far. Taika Waititi, no mean actor himself, and currently Marvel's favourite director. And, of course, Lord of the Three Rings Circus, Sir Peter Jackson. But Jane Campion may have the edge critically. Perhaps with time, you might come to like me. I'd like to make a swap. A foot? The piano. She says it's her piano and she won't have him touch it. The family now, we all make sacrifices and so will you. An Oscar, a Palme d'Or at Cannes, Best Director at Venice and dozens more awards over the years, it's no surprise she's so revered by her peers. Many of her films reflect a complicated relationship with toxic masculinity and the power of the dog is that in spades. Based on an old Western novel, The Power of the Dog is about brothers Phil and George Burbank, co-owners of a big cattle ranch in Montana. Phil, Benedict Cumberbatch, is a nasty piece of work from the start with a line in vicious sarcasm. Brother George, Jesse Plemons, is more easygoing. Twenty-five years since our first run together. Nineteen hundred and nothing. It's a long time. Now, there are curious notes right from the start. Despite their mansion out on the prairie, great work from production designer Grant Major, the brothers seem to share a bedroom. And despite Phil's strident homophobia, he seems to idolise his old mentor, now deceased, with feelings stronger than ordinary friendship, shall we say. What little lady made these? I did, sir. (laughs) The prime object of Phil's derision is the widow who runs the local restaurant, Rose, and her son, Peter, who shows signs of being creative. Not something you want to admit to in Montana, apparently. Mother and son are reduced to tears by the taunts of Phil and his cowhands. But brother George steps in and not only comforts Rose, but he marries her. Phil is horrified. What's it doing? Getting mixed up with her. You are marvellous, Rose. We were married Sunday. 
Now, as the name suggests, the power of the dog is based on status, reminding everyone who the top dog on the ranch is. Phil gets it into his head that Rose has an ulterior motive in marrying the wealthy George. So he feels both excused and, in some twisted way, morally bound to break her down, maybe to force her to leave. Well, Brother Phil... Well, as played by Kirsten Dunst, Rose is easily broken down, particularly since new husband George is often away on business and unable to protect her. She turns to drink, rather quickly, I would have thought, and initially doesn't notice that Phil is taking a suspicious interest in sensitive son Peter. Open up the gate, let him out. You sure he's not ready? Go on, let him out. Peter's played by Cody Smith-McPhee, who's been here before in another Otago-shot western, Slow West. It's clear Peter's unhappy with the treatment Phil has been meeting out on the increasingly vulnerable Rose, but there's no way he's a match for the bullying Phil. Or is he? A man was made by patience and the odds against him. For what kind of man would I be if I did not help my mother? The power of the dog almost seems to revel in its narrative gaps. Why is Rose, who we're told plays the piano at the local movie house, completely unable to string two notes together when George buys her a piano? Yes, another piano-buying husband. Where does Rose's late first husband fit in? And what happens to second husband George for the later part of the movie? Why is Phil so furiously against George's marriage? Is it Rose in particular or marriage in general? The fact that the story isn't spelled out is one of the reasons fans of The Power of the Dog give for their enthusiasm. Already, people are whispering Oscar. If I did not save her... But for me, the allure of the film remained opaque, despite an enthusiastic performance from Benedict Cumberbatch, surely one of the few ex-Harrow cowboys to ride the range. The music by Johnny Greenwood is good too, certainly better than Benedict's attempt at the banjo in this film. Leave it to the experts, Ben. Sort of a lonesome place out here, Pete. Unless you get in the swing of things. The Garden of Evil, produced and directed by Larry Keating, premiered at the recent Dock Edge Festival and sets out to probe the death of yachting legend Sir Peter Blake in 2001. But it starts, dangerously, with an assumption. Sir Peter was one of the most famous yachtsmen ever, so there has to be more to this than meets the eye. As with all pioneers, he never thought there was a challenge he couldn't surpass. Peter Blake led a successful challenge for the greatest sailing prize of all, the America's Cup. A mere random killing seems to be unthinkable for director Keating, who spent much of his career making TV documentaries about behind-the-scenes stories of the America's Cup. He calls in Irish investigative journalist Donal McIntyre, who's already made a documentary himself about Sir Peter called Death of a Hero. 
And now he'd achieved everything he'd wanted on the water. But he was hoping to bring a whole new audience into the Amazon. The initial facts are undisputed. Peter Blake retired from ocean racing and followed his interest in the environment, particularly what was going on in the Amazon Basin, here rather clumsily referred to as the green lungs of the world. Blake wanted to get people interested in the Amazon, perhaps through a Jacques Cousteau-type TV series. I had a meeting to get a big school running in Manaus to try and get people to understand about sustainability, understand the environment how it affects us, every one of us. Blake was particularly concerned about the damage caused by out-of-control Brazilian logging companies. To him, they were borderline criminals, seemingly beyond the reach of the law. And partly this was because of the sheer size of the Amazon basin and partly because of the notorious political corruption in Brazil. Peter was very front up about the security risks. He was aware that this was not going to be a gentle ride, and sadly he paid with his life. Peter Blake possibly thought he was protected by his celebrity. He was, as a local reporter described him, the Pele of yachting, but it didn't save him. To the shock of the world, he was raided by pirates and died, we were told, trying to protect his crew. Mass gunmen stormed the yacht. Sir Peter went for the rifle in his cabin. After a scuffle and exchange of gunfire, Peter Blake lay dead. But 20 years after his first report on it, journalist McIntyre returns, hinting darkly about evidence still to come to light. Along the way, he ropes in some equally sceptical sources, including self-styled eco-warrior Pete Bethune. There's two possible stories here. One is that it was just simply a robbery. The other one is that there were people further up the food chain pulling strings. And for Peter Blake, can't rule it out. Bethune had had his own run-ins with shady characters connected with the logging companies. Why wouldn't Blake be targeted too? But actually, when the Garden of Evil gets over its true crime instincts, it becomes more interesting. I spoke to a lot of people. I read all the stories. Where else in the world would you have logging companies having armed guards? We meet an Italian environmentalist called Emanuela Evangelista who set up an eco-village in northern Amazonia and she shows what can be done if you put the years in. Coincidentally, she arrived there at around the exact time Peter Blake took his fatal trip further south. This documentary had turned into a murder story. It would start with the hunt for the pirates. There are several front people to Garden of Evil, as well as Donald McIntyre and Pete Bethune. The narrative is taken by at least three other journalists, and they're keen to investigate the wider story of what's happening in the Amazon. But director Larry Keating prefers to stay with who really killed Sir Peter Blake. In fact, 20 years ago, the pirates were caught and convicted with very little difficulty. Ricardo Tavares, charged as the man who fired the shots that killed Sir Peter. You can run away, but you can't hide from the damage you've done. 
English journo Sam Cowie gets to talk to the apparent ringleader. After nearly an hour of breathless suspense, we finally hear the voice of the murderer. And many of the questions posed at the start of the film about the death of Blake do get answered. Now that we've got a president with this violent discourse, it's almost a guarantee that we'll see more bloodshed. I think there's a greater truth to come out about why Sir Peter was murdered. Unlike questions about the wider issues raised in this film, issues that the whole planet has an interest in. Now, obviously, it's easier to get a minor career criminal stuck in a miserable Brazilian jail to talk than the corrupt business people and politicians whose crimes helped put him there. Not a peep from them in the Garden of Evil, unsurprisingly. Who was the mind behind the crime? Whose idea was this? You know, if his light doesn't dim, it doesn't dim in the passing of time. By the time that the evil Thanos snapped his fingers and killed 50% of the universe at the end of the Avengers Infinity War, I'd pretty much had enough of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I'd had a lovely time. The 20-odd MCU movies beforehand were often hugely entertaining. But enough was 50% of enough. Five years ago, Thanos erased half of the population of the universe. But the people of this planet brought everyone back with a snap of a finger. So I was hardly champing at the bit to see The Eternals, which czar of all the rushes at Marvel, Kevin Feige, promised would change the MCU forever. It featured not one or even a Fantastic Four, but ten semi-divine superheroes, none of whom I'd heard of before. We're Eternals. We came here 7,000 years ago to protect humans from the deviants. And worse for the ever-suspicious Marvel fanboys, the Eternals looked dangerously woke. They include a South Korean, a Pakistani, a Scotsman, a gay black chap, a hearing-impaired Mexican and so on. The whole being directed by Chinese indie filmmaker Chloe Zhao. What's going on? Why didn't you guys help fight Thanos? Or any war, or all the other terrible things throughout history? We were instructed not to interfere in any human conflicts unless deviants are involved. By who? Now, did I think the whole thing had all the hallmarks of a box-ticking exercise? I couldn't possibly comment, but if I did, I was completely wrong. For a start, Chloe Zhao didn't hire some Chinese actor to play leader Cersei. She specifically hired the great Gemma Chan in her first leading role. Wait, are we getting back together? We need to talk. The deviants are back. We don't know how many there are. You need to come with us. And everyone else seems to have been chosen to give standout performances. From Bodyguard star Richard Madden to the Big Six hilarious Kumail Nanjani as a superhero whose secret identity is a Bollywood actor who plays superheroes. Perfect timing! Welcome to the set of Shandar Dastane Icarus. I'm playing you! You like the costume? We need to talk. Tell the director I have some notes for him. We need to talk to you in private. 
An indication of how deftly Zhao managed her ten Eternals is that by the end, I knew who each of them was. They were as distinct as heroes who'd been brought in over a dozen movies. We need to find the others. I haven't seen some of them for centuries. Hi. Hello. And giving a standout performance was Angelina Jolie as Thena. This isn't Angie's first appearance as a supporting sidekick. Fans of the Kung Fu Panda films will remember her tigress as one of the best characters. Here, she plays a war goddess who's having a nervous breakdown. We have loved these people since the day we arrived. When you love something, you protect it. She's matched by Selma Hayek as a leader with a need-to-know fixation and the always sinister Barry Keegan, playing a god who simply hypnotises people into doing good, like it or not. There's a real gay character, black boffin Brian Tyree Henry, none of your is-he-or-isn't-he stuff for him, and a goddess eternally stuck in adolescence who doesn't like it one bit. This is what the end of the world looks like. Please be a front-row seat. You know what's never saved the planet? Your sarcasm. And if all that isn't enough to whet your appetite, there's a face-off born in comic book movie heaven. Former Game of Thrones brothers Richard Madden and Kit Harrington vying for the hand of former Humans co-star Gemma Chan. We have watched. Unguided. We have helped them progress. And seen them accomplish wonders. Any doubts that Nomadland director Chloe Zhao, who also co-wrote The Eternals, might have been lacking in comedy chops to lighten the mood, were also firmly kicked into touch. One thing Nomadland had was a great feel for character, and that's what makes The Eternals tick too. I bet you've built the perfect safe house. Well, what's this even made of? Vibranium? <laughs> Fall Collection, Ikea. Unlike many of its rivals, the film keeps its action set pieces in their place and spends much of the time establishing and re-establishing its characters. By the end, when, despite the name, we lose some Eternals, the film has earned its tears just as it earned the early laughs. Any of them. If I have one complaint, it might be that the marketing department insisted on setting up a, to me, completely unnecessary sequel. I loved it as a one-off, but of course, a film combining comic book fun with riffs on ancient civilizations was absolutely aimed at me. So, with at least one satisfied customer, it's time to go. I'm Simon Morris, and I hope you'll join me at the movies same time next week. Do you love anime, gaming, movies, and discovering how your favorite pop culture affects everything you do? Then join us on Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. 
every week you can listen in while we break down the latest pop culture news and dish on what new releases we can't get enough of. Whether you love movies, I'm going to tell you all about the uh, hopeful 4K re-release of Tron Legacy that happens. (laughs) (laughs) I'm right there with you. Or music. The music in this show is absolutely incredible. Or anime. And under this mask is another mask. (laughs) (laughs) You can discover your new favorites right here on The Anime Effect. Listen every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts, and watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or on the Crunchyroll YouTube channel.